0: The Hamlet Podcast, episode 27. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Conor Hanmity. Hamlet and his fellow ghost hunters are back up on the ramparts of Castle Elsinore. It's cold and dark and late, and thanks to the boom of the cannons and the kettledrums seemingly accompanying every toast that Claudius makes, Hamlet has launched into the subject of Drinking. He's got started on to how his countrymen are notorious abroad for being drunkards and has been lamenting how this mars their reputation otherwise. The prince continues in an even more rambling, peculiar way, but stick with it and we'll try and break it down, because I have a feeling we're going to find something very special there. Let's see what Shakespeare might be trying to do with this notoriously convoluted section of the text. Hamlet continues, So oft it chances in particular men that for some vicious mole of nature in them, as in their birth, wherein they are not guilty, since nature cannot choose his origin, by the overgrowth of some complexion, oft breaking down the pales and forts of reason, or by some habit that too much o'erlevens the form of plosive manners, that these men, carrying, I say, the stamp of one defect, being nature's livery or fortune's star, their virtues else, be they as pure as grace, as infinite as man may undergo, shall in the general censure take corruption from that particular fault, the dram of yield of all the noble substance of a doubt to his own scandal. I've quoted the full passage there, because quite frankly there isn't a natural break in it. Hamlet's mind is thinking incredibly fast, and he leaps and dances from thought to thought. As mentioned in the previous episode, perhaps he's nervous, and he's certainly cold, and he has to keep a brave face since he's got company. The first third of the speech is one long string of thoughts, down as far as the last podcast covered, ending with a full stop. There isn't really another until Horatio interrupts Hamlet, for a very good reason, after all these jumbled thoughts have been exhaled. We in the audience have already seen the ghost, so we know it's quite likely that he's going to reappear, and we hope he might even speak. But Hamlet doesn't know. For all he knows... These fellows were up on the battlements drinking, and they only think they saw something. He's now made his distaste for Danish boozing pretty clear, and he's now holding forth on how one particular flaw in a person can ruin their character entirely. It's typically expansive and rich in its language, and yet again Shakespeare is distracting us. He's drawing us into the richness and complexity of Hamlet's mind, so that we're thinking about that instead of the alarming, armoured figure That's on the prowl. Looking more closely at the text, Hamlet is showing a remarkable breadth of thought and awareness here. It's hard to find the bones of the speech because he interrupts himself so often, but if we acknowledge and accept his mental exuberance we can find our way through it. Removing these interruptions that he makes in and of himself, we get something a little clearer. So oft it chances in particular men that for some vicious mole of nature in them By the overgrowth of some complexion, or by some habit that too much 'er o'erlevens the form of plosive manners, that these men shall in the general censure take corruption from that particular fault. Well, it's a little simpler, at least. The image of a mole is doubly effective here. There's the sense of a birthmark, a visible, distinguishing feature that happens naturally, but also the sense of the burrowing creature that hides beneath the surface and conceals other things. Shakespeare is planting this image here because he will use it very effectively again before the end of this act. The sense is that, whether due to some innate feature or something that becomes overdeveloped in a man's makeup or a habit that leads him astray, one particular fault can be a man's demise. Even in these, his references are from the natural world, from medicine, in the sense of the complexion being a person's balancing of the four humours, and even the Bible. Saint Paul tells the Corinthians that just a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough, and it's easy to make the leap then from that to his saying that one habit can over-leaven a man's form beyond normally accepted manners. If that's the basic framework of his thought pattern, let's add the other bits back in and see what other points he's making on the sidelines. So oft it chances in particular men that for some vicious mole of nature in them, as in their birth, wherein they are not guilty, since nature cannot choose his origin, immediately he's interrupted himself, making the point that people are not responsible for their birth defects, whether physical or of their character, since nobody gets to choose how they are born. Then we're back to the second of the points on his list. By the or growth of some complexion, oft breaking down the pales and forts of reason, this qualification is quite helpful, since he's explaining here that any overgrowth or excess in the complexion can damage one's reason. The word complexion most often means appearance, as we still use it. But Hamlet himself uses it more than once to mean a person's makeup or constitution. According to the art in Shakespeare, it's an almost technical term for the combination of the four humors; they being the sanguine, melancholic, choleric, and phlegmatic that were supposed to be maintained in harmony. Any overgrowth of one of these, he says, can lead to a breaking down of the pales and forts of reason. Pales and forts is great. Hamlet's mind is working so quickly that he reduces palisades and fortresses to pales and forts. Why not? He has points to make and ideas to express. Onwards then to the third item on his list or by some habit that too much o'erlevens the form of plosive manners, that these men, carrying, I say, the stamp of one defect, being nature's livery or fortune's star, their virtues else, be they as pure as grace, as infinite as man may undergo, shall in the general censure take corruption from that particular fault. These men, marred by birth, by overgrowth or by habit, carrying, as he says, the mark of just one weakness or defect, Whether that's the livery of nature, something like a birthmark or something you wear naturally, or something in your stars thanks to fortune, whatever it is, your virtues could, he says, be as pure as grace, but they will be corrupted in other people's minds because of it. A tiny flaw can ruin your reputation. Given the extent to which he's going here, it's fairly safe to say that Hamlet isn't just talking about Danish alcoholism here. Shakespeare ends the speech almost like he tends to end a sonnet, with a final image summing up just about everything that's gone before. Although, of course, sonnets tend to be rather tighter in their images and in their arguments. These final lines of this speech are reviled by critics for being incredibly tricky and perhaps corrupt, and they tend to be written off probably as a draft that Shakespeare never got round to fixing, or perhaps the whole sentence is unfinished because he's about to be interrupted. There are numerous, numerous readings and revisions that one might go and explore. The lines themselves go as follows. The dram of eel doth all the noble substance of a doubt to his own scandal. It doesn't really seem to reveal very much for us, alas. A dram of eel is bewildering. The word, usually spelled E-A-L-E, appears nowhere else. Most editors, more often than not, will change it to evil, E-V-I-L, which is pretty helpful. However, the 18th century editor Lewis Tybald has quite a stinging opinion of this whole section, and I'll quote... I do not know of a passage throughout all our poets' works, more intricate and depraved in the text, of less meaning to outward appearance, or more likely to baffle the attempts of criticism in its aid. It is certain there is neither sense, grammar, nor English as it now stands. Harsh words indeed. No wonder it's very often cut in performance. Personally, I am quite convinced by Dover Wilson and his very helpful book, What Happens in Hamlet which, if you haven't read it and you're interested in this podcast enough to have gotten to episode 27, I can thoroughly recommend. He makes the argument that what Shakespeare is doing here is introducing Hamlet, focusing on him via his own language. It's so intriguing and so well-written that I'm just going to quote him rather than even trying to rephrase it. The lines end with a passage unhappily corrupt, though if we amend it, as I believe we may, it offers, by means of an alchemical metaphor, what probably takes us as near as we can get to Shakespeare's own judgment upon Hamlet. The dram of evil doth all the noble substance often doubt to his own scandal. In other words, the character of the man might have been pure gold, but for the touch of evil or weakness which leads him to ruin. There was no spotlighting on the Elizabethan stage, but Shakespeare knew a better way of shedding the ray of illusion upon the features of his characters the way of poetry. I just think that's marvellous. It's so clear, it's so interesting. The idea of Shakespeare planting the seeds of how we should understand Hamlet come from Hamlet himself. The explanation of this noble substance as gold is also ingenious. Other editors usually just let it mean the man or man's spirit or something like that. But the inference that just that touch of weakness is enough to prevent the alchemy from happening, well... It doesn't get more human and poignant than that. Just as Hamlet is reaching this point, this glorious, unusually unwitting insight, Horatio interrupts him. Look, my lord, it comes. As we have hoped, the ghost reappears. But I'll save what happens next for episode number 28. Thank you, as ever, for listening. It's always a thrill to see that folks are tuning in and hopefully getting something from these podcasts. I myself was interviewed on the Rise Productions Irish Theatre podcast this week and I was told in no uncertain terms that ratings and comments do do a world of good so if you're feeling as expressive as our hero this week by all means rate or subscribe or comment it's all very helpful and very much appreciated.